I want to talk this morning as we continue our series on the life of Jesus in the book of Mark. Have you ever experienced something that's way harder than it should have been? It's something that should have been relatively easy and relatively simple, but it became way more complicated and way more difficult than it should have been. Well, uh, an example of this is when Kirsten and I immigrated here from the far off and distant country of Alberta. It was very difficult. I was surprised we didn't need to get a, a green card or a visa to move here because it should have been, uh, it, it was difficult enough as it was moving. You know, you're leaving the familiar, you're leaving your friends, your family, the church people that you've come to love. Uh, and yet, uh, so that alone was, was difficult, but it was joyful because we had something to look forward to. But then bureaucracy happened. <laughs> Uh, the, the one thing that I, I'll try not to get on a rant with this because I don't want to be negative, but I don't understand sometimes the provincial federal borders, how they work, because our car was safe enough to drive in Alberta, but we had to get a interprovincial inspection, which costs money, and then you have to fix everything, otherwise you have to move it back to Alberta, sell it, whatever that is. And then one other example is Kirsten uh, had her dental assistance license in Alberta. She was trained in Alberta. She was fully qualified, fully fit, member in good standing and everything. But uh, it was as if she had come from a country they had never heard of when she tried to get her license in BC. She almost, she almost thought it would have been easier to just retake everything because she had to do a test. She had to get her, her documents not just sent over from the college, but she had to get them notarized so she wasn't forging everything. She had to go through all of these hoops to jump through. And it, it honestly made it a little frustrating. It made it almost feel like we weren't welcome. I don't know what that is about Alberta, BC, but anyway. It's just one of those things. It should have been simple. It wasn't. And last week we talked about how uh, sometimes we get distracted in life from what's truly important. And uh, the most important thing for all people in the world is a relationship with their maker. Who created them? And us as Christians, we know that that is Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus is the most important thing. And he invites us into something to have a purpose and to have a mission that he started that we are to fulfill. And that's to seek and save the lost, to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And that's the mission. People of disciples are people who follow and love Jesus. And that's for people who don't yet know Jesus. He didn't say, go and recruit people from other churches and make your church bigger. He said, no, go into the world and seek and save the lost. And so maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. Thank you for being here. Because we want to be a church that welcomes people from all walks of life. And whether you know Jesus or not, we want to be a welcoming place. And so in our passage today, Jesus takes that point of, of uh, wanting to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. And then he takes it one step further. And he talks very directly and very frankly and almost harshly this morning about how important it is not to become a stumbling block to other people. Not to allow your preferences, your personality, your tastes, whatever it is, to cause a hindrance to somebody else. And he talks very specifically about sin, and then he also talks about in more generic ways, but he talks very direct, directly and frankly about the danger of being a stumbling block. But the danger of making it hard for people to have a relationship with him is so important to understand. But Jesus ends with hope, 
And that's the most important thing. He gives a warning, but then he gives a way out. And so we'll be reading uh, out of Mark 9, 42 to 50, and then 10, 13 to 15. So if you have your hard copy Bible, I'd love for you to track along with me, or if you brought an iBible to swipe there. It'll also be on the screen behind me, and I'll be reading out of the uh, NIV 2011 version. And it says in verse 42, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. I usually I read the whole passage, but I just wanted to camp right there for a second. Little ones that Jesus is talking about. In the, the previous verses, Jesus placed a child in the middle of the disciples and said uh, that this was the example of the level of dependence and obedience that he wanted people to have when they followed him. He said, be like a child in your dependence, not in your maturity, in your dependence on me. Children are utterly dependent on their parents. And especially in their day, until you became a man or a woman, you had total dependence on your father. No matter what you did or said, you had no rights other than what your father said. And so they, Jesus was asking all of his children, all of his people to be like children. And frankly, whether we're adults and we're very mature and we think we're, we're quite well-rounded or not, all of us are like little children in God's eyes. The amount that we understand, the amount that we know, the amount that we can even understand is so minimal compared to an infinite God. And so he's asking us to be like the children that we actually truly are, but to come to him. And so his warning here is not to cause others to stumble. So stumble, to go off course, or in a language that we would use more often is to sin. A sin is a direct disobedience or sometimes even an indirect disobedience of God's word and God's commands. And so it's to fall away from what God would have. Now, I, I cannot highlight enough how big of a warning this is. God is saying that rather than causing somebody else who believes in him or is on the path to seeking him or would come to seek him or to know him, rather than causing them to stumble, it would be better just to die right away. It'd be better not to live anymore. And he doesn't just say to be killed. He says to, to grab a millstone around your neck and throw it off. Now, I've never seen a millstone, but I've seen pictures of them. And it's this giant wheel that was very heavy that would be pulled around to grind grain. Now, that's not, that's not just like a little stone. That's a giant stone. So he's saying that rather than face God's judgment for causing somebody else to stumble, it would be better just to die. That's, that's a very severe warning. Now, children make mistakes. And actually, it's really funny, but when children start learning to walk, I think it has to do with the proportion of head to body. And it, just to even camp there for a sec, if you look at a little baby, when they put their arms up, how big their head is, imagine if our heads were still that big. We would stumble too, okay? They, they're, they're quite top heavy. And so children, when they're learning to walk, they stumble a lot. They make mistakes, they fall, they trip on their feet. And what Jesus is saying is that if we, if we were to cause other people to stumble, it would be like making a child go through an obstacle course when they're just learning to walk. If we put stumbling blocks, if we put barriers in between other people and Jesus, 
It's like making a child that's barely learning to walk try and cross a balance beam over a pit. That's, what, that's kind of the imagery that Jesus is talking about here, about how unfair it is and how unrealistic it is to put a stumbling block in front of other people. But what Jesus tells us, when someone is seeking after him, when someone is wanting to come in faith or has faith in them, he says, do not hinder them. Help them. So if somebody is, is weak in their faith, if someone is just trying to figure out about Jesus, if someone is open to learning about Jesus, do not hinder them. Help them. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And so Jesus follows this strong warning not to cause other people to stumble with several other strong statements. In verse 43, he says, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. Verse 47. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Now if Jesus wasn't... uh, wasn't explicit enough in the first one of causing, if you cause other people to stumble, now he's talking about if you are stumbling in a very harsh way as well. And so what Jesus is saying, first of all, I'll say what Jesus is not saying. Now, some people have misinterpreted this over the years and saying that we are to mutilate our bodies, that we're actually supposed to hurt ourselves, that we're actually supposed to to cause ourselves pain, but that's not what Jesus is saying. Let's just start at that. He's not saying literally cut off your hands, cut off your feet, cut off your eyes. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying and his point is that following him costs something. Following after Jesus has a cost to it. Following after Jesus, being a disciple, requires sacrifice. And this looks different for different people. The sacrifices that Jesus requires looks different depending on who you are in your life and what he expects of you. But the the very clear thing that he's talking about for all people, his bare minimum requirement is to give up sin. To give up an addiction to sin. To give up whatever would cause you to have sin in your life. That's the cutting away that he's talking about. Anything that causes you to sin or stumble is a barrier in your relationship between God and you. Anything that that you choose to indulge in sin versus a relationship with Jesus is a stumbling block to your faith. And now this looks different for so many different people, but what it means is that it's better to give up something that distracts you, that hurts your relationship with God, than to go to hell. And I know that's a harsh statement, but it's what Jesus says. Some people say, well, Jesus never talked about hell. Well, that's really not true because here in this short few verses, Jesus talks about it several times. And the point is that if we choose to do something that we know is wrong, and yet we say we love Jesus, that doesn't work. If we continue to do something that we know is sinful, that we have in our heart, that we know is wrong, and yet we continue to follow Jesus, or say we follow Jesus, it's completely farcical. And an example of this would be uh, a spouse that's married, 
and yet continues to have affair after affair after affair. And they say, well, I love my spouse. I love my wife. I love my husband. Well, that, well, you know, it's not a big deal. Or, yeah, like, my, they'll forgive me. My wife will forgive me. My husband will forgive me. It's okay. I, I just need to apologize, and then it doesn't matter, right? That's, that's a, a, quite a good example, actually, of what God talks about because he uses, uh, in the Old Testament, the prophet Hosea. And he uses his relationship with a prostitute to say that that is how Israel, God's people, treated God. That God loved them no matter what, and he would forgive them when they would, when they would go after other gods, when they would go after idols, when they would choose sin over their relationship with God. And he would forgive them, but they clearly didn't love him. And that is what it's like. If we have a relationship, we say we have a relationship with God, but we choose to keep sin in our life. And now, I don't want to make it seem like, like God is unfair or unjust, because he's not. God is holy, and the, the saying is that we are not, but he calls us to be holy, and he calls us to be perfect. And so I don't want to sit up here with a spiritual two-by-four and beat you all into perfection, because that's not what it is. What it is is that if you have something in your life that's unconfessed, that you're holding on to, that you're trying to, to keep away from God, that you're not surrendering to him, well, then that, that's the question is what matters more to you, that area of sin, that area of false pleasure, or Jesus? Now, Jesus doesn't demand instant perfection, but Jesus does ask us for growth. Jesus asks us to grow in our faith, to grow in our obedience. And he doesn't just tell us to go be perfect and then you can come follow me. He says, come and follow me and I will give you the Holy Spirit who will help you, who will give you the power to walk away from sin, who will give you the help that you need each and every day. And, and the... The other thing of this that we'll get into is that he doesn't just leave us alone with the Holy Spirit. He gives us a community of faith to walk alongside. The Bible says to confess your sins to one another. And then you will pray for one another and help one another and hold each other accountable. So in verse 49, he goes on to say, Everyone will be salted with fire. And salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. So salt and fire are both purifying agents. They do it in different ways, but they both preserve and purify. So salt in the, uh, in the traditional way, and it still works, was a way of preserving food. They would rub down meat with salt, and then it would stay longer. And actually in the Old Testament sacrificial process, they would salt meat as well. But fire is also a purifying agent. But it burns up and it consumes what it is. And it says everyone will be salted with fire. So fire, this purifying agent that it's talking about, means that we will be burned away what is sin in our life. The Holy Spirit, I have a professor when I was in college, wrote a book called The Fiery Holy Spirit. And it was all about how the Holy Spirit is this fiery power to burn away sin, to cause judgment and to cause sin to walk away from us, to, to purify what we are. And so the Bible talks about uh, building up our lives with things that have eternal value and yet not focus on other things because everything that is not of God will be burned away. 
Everything that is sinful, everything that is wrong will be burned out of our lives. And so Jesus is warning, if his followers are not growing in character and in obedience, then they're as worthless as unsalty salt. Now, I don't know who likes to add salt to their dish, but if you've ever added salt and it doesn't taste like salt, would you care? No. And I've used this illustration before, but it works really well. Who likes McDonald's fries without salt? Nobody. <laughs> the only thing good about McDonald's, well, okay, whatever. <laughs> Nobody, no, I won't go there. Uh, <laughs> salt makes fries better, I'll just say that. Unsalted fries aren't very good, I'll just say that. But salty fries, oh, that's just finger licking good. I know that's a KFC phrase, but whatever. Salt makes fries better. Salt makes our life better. And so Jesus says to share life with one another, to be this purifying, salty influence in one each other's lives, to purify one another, to preserve life in one another. And so this peaceful fellowship he's calling us to is to be in community with one another, to rubbing up shoulders against one another, and to be, if, if somebody is in sin, if somebody is doing something, to point that out in their life in a gentle and loving way, and said, hey, I noticed this about your life. Not, not condemnatory, not somebody that you don't have a relationship with, but somebody that you're in community with, you have a relationship with, that knows that you love them enough to call out sin in their life. To say, because I love you, I noticed this area in your life that you're not really obeying Jesus. That's being salt to one another. That's caring enough about one another. And so the, the, the Holy Spirit is this fiery presence in our life to help purify us and help us. And so he says that we are to be a peaceful fellowship with one another. But in the previous verses, it talks about cutting away anything that would be a stumbling block. And so in community, this means that if we notice somebody is disrupting the fellowship of the community, is not helping the unity of the group, the first step is to come alongside them, to love them, to try and bring them back into the unity and the fellowship, to call out sin that is there. And then if they will not listen, if they won't allow you to go through the biblical process, then the hard thing is, is to allow them to be refined by fire. And it actually, the Bible talks about cutting away fellowship with them. It says to treat them as tax collectors and sinners. And that doesn't mean that you throw stones at them. It doesn't mean that you hate them. It actually means you love them enough not to allow them into close fellowship for a season. You say you're not helping the unity of the group. You're not following Jesus. And so that takes time and that takes help. And that takes a willingness to love someone enough to come alongside them. And say, I love you enough that I'm going to share a hard truth with you. Can I be honest with you? And so we need to have frank, honest, loving conversations with each other. To share truth in order to preserve life. And to cut away sin. And so if we see someone struggling, we don't judge them necessarily. We don't, we don't attack them. It says we do not hinder them, we help them. So come alongside them. Do what you can. Pray with them and then help them get rid of it. Help them, if they're willing to, to get rid of that sin, that area of disobedience in their lives. Now, the, uh, the picture that we don't get because we're, we're not as in-depth with the, the Old Testament as the Jewish people and Jesus' original audiences would have been, but when it's saying that everyone will be salted with fire, 
is actually a reference to the Old Testament sacrifices for sin offerings. And the way that the sin offerings would work is they would uh, have an animal that they would pray over and ask God to put their sins, their personal sins as a people, as an individual, into that animal. And then they would kill it and use the blood on the altar as the sacrifice. But the body, the corpse, they would take outside of the, of the city into a, a, a heap and they would burn it outside of the body. But before that, it would get salted. And so the, the picture that, that we are called to in the New Testament is no longer to sacrifice animals. But as uh, Paul says in Romans 12.1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we ourselves are supposed to be the sacrifice. We ourselves are supposed to be living sacrifices where we set aside everything that would hinder our relationship with Jesus. That we would have open hands with our whole lives, with everything about us, and say, Jesus, my life is yours. Do as you would in it. We don't try and hide some things in the one hand behind our back and say, well, you can have these things. No, but we say, you can have everything. My very life, use me today to do what you want in my life. And so... The first, we saw that we're not supposed to create barriers between other people and Jesus. We're not supposed to be a stumbling block for other people. And we saw the danger of that. And next, we looked at the danger of sin in our own lives. Anything that would be a personal area of sin or a block to obedience to Jesus, we're supposed to cut away. And next, Jesus speaks to how we're actually supposed to behave. So in, verses, uh, in chapter 10, verses 13 to 15, Jesus says this. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, the disciples were, were not perfect. They were human beings like you and I. And so they made mistakes. And they, they made a big mistake here. Uh, it says in this translation, the NIV, that uh, Jesus was indignant, which isn't a word we use very much. But I like what it says in the NLT. It says, Jesus was angry with the disciples. He was mad at them. He wasn't, he wasn't a little flustered. He wasn't a little annoyed. He was mad. He was angry at the disciples. Because they were actually preventing people who wanted to come to Jesus from coming to him. They, they were in a culture that, that children specifically, as I said, didn't have much rights. And so they weren't important enough for Jesus. They said, don't waste Jesus' time with these little children. And Jesus is upset with them. And so... I, I would like to say that us as a church, that we love children, that we would never do this to children. But if there was any way, any one of us in any way would hinder somebody else from coming to Jesus who wants to, then Lord, forgive us. Because that is, that is so wrong. And actually, that makes Jesus upset. That makes Jesus not just disappointed, but angry. And so the little ones, Jesus called us to be like little ones. Not in maturity, like I said, but in obedience and surrender to him. 
and dependence on him. And so children are this beautiful blank slate when they're born. That whatever you pour into them, that they, they come out with. Minus original sin, well, that one is in there. If you, don't, if you don't think that original sin is a real thing, have a toddler and then you'll know. Or a great-grandchild, that's, that's or a grandchild or a great-grandchild. There is original sin. But uh, children are this blank slate that you can pour into them, that you can teach them, that they can, they can just follow after you. They have this beautiful, absolute trust that if you throw them 30 feet in the air, I wish I was that strong, but if you could throw them 30 feet in the air, they would love it because they know you're going to catch them. And so that's the kind of obedience that Jesus calls us to, that kind of faith after God. And so Jesus calls his followers to surrender to him like little children with utter dependence like a child to their parents. And so these little children were called, do not hinder them, but help them. So we have to ask ourselves as individuals and as a church, we constantly have to be asking ourselves, is there any way that we would maybe hinder other people from coming to faith in Jesus? Is there any way that we could have barriers that we could have things that would be a hindrance rather than a help for others to experience the beautiful truth of the gospel. Because the church is the primary means that Jesus uses to save the world. The church isn't the secondary hope, the secondary plan, the backup plan. It's the only plan. And the reason that Jesus can use the church is because he built the church. And he made the church to be the means to save the world. Not through our ability, but through his power. Because we have the Holy Spirit's power working within us. And so we have an essential role to play as the Penticton Church of the Nazarene here in the Okanagan. And yet somewhere along the way, we slowly lost our focus. And we started to drift inward. That The, the voices inside of our church became louder than the needs of the community around us. And we recognize that. We recognize that as leadership. We became more focused on our own preferences rather than our mission to seek disciples and be disciples who make disciples. And that has to change. And I don't know what that's going to look like yet. I don't know all of the things that are going to change. And I'm not going to be the only one making those decisions. That's going to be a group effort to come together. But it has to change. Because... We cannot be a church that cares more about our people than about the people that need Jesus. That's not acceptable. That would make Jesus sad and angry. And as individuals, we can't be people that care more about what I want and what I need than what other people need. And just to kind of illustrate this, uh, there was a speaker at a Pro D Days a couple years ago that Pastor Neil and I went to, and he was a great speaker. He had a lot of great stories, and he talked a lot about uh, churches going through revitalization and, and turning from being their own inward focus to outward focus. And years ago, there was an inner city church in Edmonton, I won't name it, doesn't matter, uh, that had had its glory days in the 80s, and it had really reached people, but it had dwindled and, uh, and shrunk down and had been down to this core of people who had been faithful and who loved God and wanted people uh, to, to come to know Jesus. But they had got wrapped up in their own preferences and in their own way of doing things that they had lost sight of the mission that they were called to. And there was nobody in their community who even knew, really knew about them. And there was nobody in their community who came to their church. 
And uh, this pastor came in and started talking with the people and started trying to create this vision and try and understand where they're going to go and what they're going to do. And then they started talking about the actual changes that they were going to make. And he said uh, one day this lovely uh, lady booked an appointment to him, came in his office, and she was so upset she was almost vibrating. And she said, Pastor, I know this church needs to change. I know we have to make these changes. I know we need to change all these things, but I don't want it to happen while I'm still alive. She said, I'm really old. I'm, I'm not going to live very much longer. Can you please just wait until I die to make these changes? And he sat there for a minute and thought, and then he said, if we wait until you die, we're going to be burying this church before we bury you. And she said, if you do this, if you make these changes before I die, I'm going to leave and I'm going to be buried at a different church and I'm not going to invite you to the service. You're not going to come. And he said, I will not sit by and let this church die before you. And so she followed through with her threat, through her, uh, threat even though he reached out to her, he tried to talk to her, he tried to convince her. And she died and was buried in this other church, upset and angry. And this church, they, they lost some people that were there in their church for years and who had loved the church and wanted to, liked it the way it was. But that church revitalized. They started doing outreach programs. They started having people from their community come around them. They started trying unconventional ways of spreading the gospel and they grew and thrived and they became a church for all generations and they became a beacon of hope in that community. They were one of the few churches in Edmonton that actually stayed downtown. All the rest of them had left and went to the suburbs, but they stayed there and they had story after story of lives that were changed and transformed by Jesus in their community. They came back to new health, to new life. Now that, that woman, I, I, don't, I don't know about her relationship with Jesus. She probably loved Jesus. She's probably in heaven. But she, she lost sight of the main thing. She put her preferences before other people's needs. And we can never do that and look at Jesus in the face and go, I love you so much if we put our preferences before other people. And so never put our preferences before other people's needs. And so that attitude makes it so much harder for people to come to faith in Jesus. And so do not hinder them, help them. And sometimes we do that to people that, that, uh, come, that need to come to faith in Jesus. If we say to them, well, you can come, uh, I'm, I'm fine with you coming becoming a Christian, that's great. I don't think there's anyone that would say, I don't want people to come to know Jesus. But if we say, well, you have to come at this specific time, you have to come dressed this way, you have to like the music that we, that we play. You have to act a certain way. You have to smell a certain way. You have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this. And if you're willing to do all that and come to our church at this specific time, then great, you can become a Christian. But that's not what Jesus calls us to. He doesn't say we have to make other people conform to be like the way we want them to be. He says, go into the world and make disciples. And so Friday night, we, we celebrated the history of our church. We celebrated some of the great moves of God in the past. And then we started dreaming about the future. And I truly believe, I don't just say this because it's a nice thing to say, but I truly think that God has the best days of our church ahead. I don't think they're in the past. I think they're in the future. I think God has the best things yet to come. And so I don't know what that's going to look like. 
I don't know what, what all of those changes that are going to have to be made yet, but the first step has been taken where we're trying to figure out what we value as a church. What makes us unique as Penticton Church of the Nazarene? And we have a whole bunch of people's thoughts and prayers and, and dreams written out and prayed over, and we're going to gather together as leadership and go through those more. And then we're going to bring them back and go through them and go, is this a good representation of who we are as a church? Does the language work? Does it work? And then we're going to take the next step forward in defining that vision even better and even more clearly. And so I thank everyone who took the time to come out. For those who weren't able to, who are praying for us, it makes such an important difference. And I want you to know and be comforted that our message as a church will never change. The mission that Jesus has given us will never change. We have the, the greatest mission in the whole world to be disciples who make disciples, to go into the world and baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to see lives radically transformed with the gospel. And I know that everyone who, is, who has their faith in Jesus, that their life was never the same after that. It wasn't always easier. It wasn't always, quote unquote, uh, easy sailing. But it was so much better. And we who have come to life in Jesus, don't we other, want other people to experience that life? Whatever that takes, even if it makes me uncomfortable, even if it costs me something, is it worth seeing more and more people come to faith in Jesus? I'd like to say it is. And I'm willing to pay the cost. I'm willing to pray the prayer of, of hope. I'm willing to experience the pain and tears and hardships and sorrows that it might take, the disappointments the failures, to see Jesus move in lives. I'm willing to have my heart hurt by people in order to see people come to life. Are you willing to as well? Are you willing to come along with me as we try and seek and save the lost of Penticton and the Okanagan? Because I have great hopes and great dreams for our future. Faith in Jesus is so important. It's not just something we do on Sunday. It's something that changes every day of our lives. If somebody, if somebody says they come to faith in Jesus, and yet their life looks the same before and after, then they didn't really come to faith in Jesus. Jesus isn't something you just add on to your life. Go, well, I'll just go to church on Sundays. Going to church is about becoming equipped and empowered and encouraged and excited to go out and to share what you have experienced with other people. And so that's what this is. This church isn't a building. It's an equipping station. The church is you people. It's us. We're the people who are the church. And so church, would you go and share your life with those around you who don't yet know Jesus? Would you be intentional about making friends and being friends with those who are unlike you so that you can point them to the hope in Jesus? My four-year-old daughter does this. It's so exciting. And it's challenging because it takes intentionality. When we, go to her, when we go to her dance classes, we sit on the way and, and we pray in the last bit of the drive for her friends in that class and her teacher to come to know Jesus because we love them enough to share about Jesus. Now, I'm not a person that, that loves to be in the spotlight, and I know that might seem like it because I'm the pastor on stage, but... I would rather talk to somebody one-on-one -on -one than talk to big groups of people. But Jesus has called me to do something that's uncomfortable. Not because I want to, 
but because he's called me to. And so church, I'm willing to move forward and to see what God has come to fruition. And so I want to just this week, uh, just give you three specific challenges for us as the worship team comes forward, and then I'll pray. The first is to confess. Now this is the first step, because if there's any hindrances or sin in your life that you know about and you haven't confessed to Jesus, then that's a barrier in your relationship. That's something that will prevent you from following him well. So if you know of something in your life, find somebody you trust and you care about and confess that sin to them, and then they'll pray with you. Or if you don't feel comfortable doing that, then pray alone in your room, in a closet, whatever, and pray to Jesus and he'll forgive you. And the second is to ask, what am I willing to give up in order to see people come to faith in Jesus? Am I willing to give up some of my time? Am I willing to give up my, my, uh, my preferences in order to see people come to faith in Jesus? And then third, to pray. Pray for God. This is just one thing. I want you to pray for a ton of things. But pray for God to reveal his vision for our church. A vision that is so big that we can't accomplish on our own. The only way we can accomplish it is if God shows up in a powerful way. And so pray for a big dream. And if you don't yet know Jesus this morning, then I want to invite you to come to faith in him. It doesn't make your life easier. It makes your life better. Because surrender to him and obedience to him is the only thing that will have true fulfillment in your life. And so let me pray as the worship team leads us in response this morning. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for this church. I thank you for their love for you, for our love for you. And I thank you for so many people who gave up their Friday night to come together to celebrate the past and to look forward to the future. And Lord, we have big dreams. And we, we, we know that the vision is going to refine more over the time. But Lord, I pray that whenever you come back, whether it's tomorrow or in a thousand years, that you would find this church faithful. That we would be people who don't put a stumbling block in front of other people. That any areas in our life that, that are unconfessed sin or that are a, 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 a consequential sin that we, we keep coming back to you, Jesus. I pray that you would help us to have the courage to cut that away and to follow you in obedience. And Jesus, I pray that uh, we would never put our preferences before other people's needs. Jesus, people need you. You are the hope of the world. So help us as this church to be the hope that people need to point people to you as the source of life, Jesus. And now as we respond in worship through music, whether it's through praying silently in our head, whether it's joyfully standing, clapping, doing whatever, Jesus, I pray that we would be people who follow you in obedience each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen.